Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and today my guest is author Jeremy Arnold, and we're talking about The Essentials, must-see movies. It's volume two. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jeremy. It's good to have you back. Thank you, Jan. It's great to be back talking to you. You too. You too. I want to ask you, I don't think we asked this, Jeremy, you were on my show when uh, a year and a half ago or so when we talked about Christmas in the Movies, which is a wonderful book. Um, but I, I don't think I asked you, what made you become a film historian? Well, I don't know. I kind of fell into it. <laughs> um, <laughs> like many people, I, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I grew up um, indoctrinated into a love of classic cinema, thanks to my, my dad, mostly, and studied film in college at Wesleyan University. Um, made some short films and worked in the industry in different ways uh, um, at production offices and on sets of films. And eventually I just fell into becoming a freelance writer um, for different magazines and websites over the years, including Turner Classic Movies. I've been contributing to their website since 2002 or three. And several years ago when they started their, their publishing deal for their line of movie books, it was just sort of a natural fit for me to start doing books for them. I've also contributed to to other books. Um, but basically just the years and years of doing it, of researching hundreds of movies for TCM and, and for other places, um, you know, and coupled with my natural love of uh, old Hollywood um, films, uh, it just sort of happened. Um, and here I am now writing, you know, with my third book. So Very exciting. I, you know, the, the, the original Essentials came out in, what, 2016, the first yeah. volume, volume one. Right. And um, so so what made you decide to write a second volume? Honestly, the first volume did well enough that TCM and the publisher both were into the idea of doing a second one. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I, I wanted to do one from the time I finished the first one, but um, we just sort of had to wait and see. And, you know, I mean, this these books are, you know, they're, they're Turner Classic. I wrote them, but they're Turner Classic movie official books. So they, you know, obviously they have a lot of say a lot of input into, you know, how their brand is used and especially these Essentials books because the Essentials is a program that has been on Turner Classic Movies since 2001 and it's a big part of their their branding and it's a it's a show, if you can call it that, that they're particularly proud of because it deals with so many of the all-time great classic movies and they've had a lot of interesting celebrity uh, hosts of the Essentials over the years, including Robert Osborne for 10 years and now Ben, ben Mankiewicz with guest hosts. And so, you know, I think they were rather protective of intellectual property, so to speak. So, um, you know, the, the movies in the first book were 50, a sampling of 52 of the roughly 300 movies that had have been shown on the essentials. And this is another 52 of those 300 or so films. So, um, you know, it's, this is not, this is not my list of the 52 best movies ever made. Although a lot of these movies would be on that list. It's, you know, it's very, it very much represents the show, the TCM show, the essentials as well. So for you, what makes a movie essential because first of all i have to say the book is beautiful it, it's beautifully written it's the layout is just so easy to go through and i do believe it's the essential book for any movie lover no question about it but um and you go in it, before each film after you've written you're reading about all each 
of these movies and you say why it's essential. But for you overall, why do you think a movie is essential? Do you have an overall thought about not necessarily about a specific movie, but just in general, why movies are a particular movie is essential? Yes. Um, and I think I have to answer that in sort of two ways. The first is that the way, te- the way Turner defines the essentials for their show, the essentials is a movie that, you know, all serious movie lovers should see if they want to be a little more serious about it than just be a casual fan. You know, everyone should see not just Casablanca, but, you know, some really good examples of film noir and musicals and have a sort of well-rounded knowledge of the studio era. So, I mean, that it's important that that's how they've defined it. I would agree with that, but um, I think everyone also has their own personal list of essential films that have maybe as much to do with them as with the movies. But I would say that my definition is sort of a combination of the two, which would be um, a movie that not only stands the test of time and is still, you know, watchable, but really had impact in some way, in some form. You know, maybe like Citizen Kane, it really sort of woke people up to different innate types of storytelling and the, the structure of a film and the really what where you can lead an audience forward and back in time. Um, maybe it's something that resonated culturally, like, say, In the Heat of the Night, for example. Um, maybe, you know, Rashomon is another one that really opened, opened up everyone's brains to new ways of approaching story. Or it could be Top Hat or Swing Time, simply because Astaire and Rogers are two of the most essential movie stars um, in Hollywood history. And yeah, of course, everyone should have have some type of knowledge about what it what they were about and what made their movies so special and so unique and um, transcendent in a way. And you know, in, in, when I was doing this book, there there are some movies that I do find transcendent. By which I mean, when we're watching them, they sort of bring us to another plate beyond just the story that's being told on the screen. And you know, maybe like Vertigo, it, it's the type of movie that when you watch it, you can't help start to think about your own life and maybe your own. Um, maybe a, a love that got away or deep yearnings that we have. There are some movies that tap into these kind of private, very human emotions and experiences that we all go through at some point in our lives. And I think those we tend to cherish the most. Um, or maybe it's just me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting you said Vertigo, because I saw, Vert- I mean, you know, I was young, but I, it wasn't when it first, first came out, but I saw, I didn't see it originally in the movie theaters, I'm not that old, but <laughs> Vertigo <laughs> is one that, when I did see it as a child, I think it played on television, uh, some, um, I really, that movie stuck with me. It's uh, it, it always, it always had. And interestingly enough, later in life, I developed Vertigo. So <laughs> it's interesting too, I had no idea about Vertigo. And I live in Carmel. California and part of the movie was filmed here and not too far from here uh, where the tower is and everything is not too far from here so it has that kind of significance to me now as an adult since it was filmed here but I thought that's interesting that you you just mentioned Vertigo so why do you think that one is essential? I mean, of course, well, it's Hitchcock. And I think, I think almost any Hitchcock movie, whether it was a good movie, I mean, most of his movies were good, are essential because he's just a brilliant filmmaker, period. And it's a study in filmmaking and in a different genre. And he opened up filmmaking in a different way. But Vertigo, huh? why Vertigo in particular? Well, I mean, for, first, for, for the reason I already said, the way it takes us to other places that, you know, that are sort of private, um, even while we're wrapped up in the story. But beyond that, um, what I find so brilliant 
about Vertigo is that it essentially hypnotizes the audience from the first frame of the opening titles with the great title design by Saul Bass, viral, viraling shapes, and the music by Bernard Herrmann going into the eye. Um, and it becomes very hypnotic. And that is sort of putting the audience through an experience that is analogous to the experience that the Jimmy Stewart character goes through in the movie. He becomes obsessed with this character played by Kim Novak, and he's sort of hypnotized, in a sense, by the situation he finds himself in. And the movie really becomes a study of the disintegration of his mind, in a, in a way. And it, there's, you know, it's mind-blowing and, and trippy because Hitchcock finds ways to use image and sound, color, to create the same kind of effect using filmic tools on the audience. And I don't mean to get too in the weeds or too academic about these things, but I, you know, I like to, I, I really made an effort to introduce a little of that kind of visual analysis throughout the book because I really wanted to give readers a sense if they're not trained in film studies, for example, or haven't really thought about movies in that way, but to, to maybe inspire them to look at movies really as works of art that are the result of choices made by artists you know, in particular the director, but all the other artists on the crew as well and the cast to really create emotional effects and reactions in the audience. You know, nothing is by chance in Vertigo. Everything is very carefully designed for very specific responses that we have. And, you know, that's why we can, it's a shared experience that we can talk about because we've all experienced the same reactions at every moment in that film together, you know, or at least 99%, I would say. And it never ceases to be miraculous to me that, that movies can do that. I agree. I agree. With it's, it, it, it's interesting because one of the things you just mentioned is, is sort of each one of these films that you have in this book um, and have been a part of the essentials have you have a visceral um, reaction to the film. I mean, there's something, you know, the, the movie stands the test of time, obviously. That doesn't make any difference what generation watches it. Like when we can, you know, you have you start here in silent film and, you know, in the 19, what was the 1920s? You do this chronologically, Sunrise yeah. in 1927, and that these movies no matter what audience is watching them. And I think that's what, you know, I, I, I really gathered from what, you know, read this, reading this book, it has, it can speak to generations beyond the era that it was created. Um, and that's what I found really fascinating about this because so many of the films that are in this book, I absolutely love. And some I haven't seen, uh, mm -hmm. I have to say, I have not seen Sunrise, but, but, the majority of them I have on Turner Classic yeah. Movies. <laughs> yeah, it's like you just reminded me that, you know, the movies are time machines. They really are. And they they bring us back to not only the era in which they were made, but, you know, if they're skillfully made, the era in which they take place, which could be, mm -hmm. you know, far in the future, like 2001 or, you know, eons ago in whatever kind of, you know, historic films. So, um, they, you know, that is, we, we really journey and we journey through time in the story itself. So it's always the, the idea of time and how it is, um, used in the storytelling and also just how it's innate to our experience of, of movies at all is always fascinating. And, you know, really skillful filmmakers sometimes make that part of their storytelling. You know, High Noon is, you know, it, purports to be told in real time, about 85 minutes. And you can have a movie that's set in 
less than the time that it really that than the running time, or of course, much much longer. Um, and I also, you know, I am um, in terms of the move the the movies in this book being in chronological order. I especially like that because it's sort of in its own way, it gives a sense of the progression of Hollywood history. Um, even the photos, as the photos mm-hmm. progress through the book, the, the the look of them, the type of color, the, the even you know the the graininess, the poses, the the types of um, scenes that are being de- depicted. Even that gives you a sense of history unfolding over the years in in the movies. It's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. That is interesting. What's also um, too is that. What's wonderful about something like this, like this book, it will, it, it will, people will go, well, first of all, right now, when most of us are still sheltering in place and we're always looking for something new to watch, um, to go back and revisit these classic movies and to have the insight of, I mean, again, that's why we love Turner classic movies so much. It's because of the wealth of information we learn through the introductions and, and then the outro after you know after the film um and that's what enriches our experience of watching these movies but this book does the same thing i mean it's a great you know if, you, if it's not one that's playing you know they obviously are all playing on turner classic movies but maybe not at a particular time and so you go to watch this movie um now but but you may have seen it at another point in your life that's why i love movies so much is that you watch it at a certain period of your life and then you could go watch the movie 20 years later and have a completely different reaction to it because of the life experiences that you've had in between and to me that's what makes a, a movie great when you can re-watch it and have a completely different reaction or sometimes the same reaction. There are certain movies I'll cry no matter whenever I want. I mean, I love Gone with the Wind is my, everybody always asks, what's your favorite movie? And I always have to say Gone with the Wind because to me it was just a brilliant, despite everything that's going on now, um, you know, and, and the retrospective and looking back at the movie, it is an amazing feat of movie making as far as I'm concerned. And I can watch that movie over and over again and cry every single time at the same places in the movie. That's to me makes it longstanding, you know, that, you know, if you can still have that kind of a reaction to the, to the film, um, is that something that you feel too when you're when you were putting this together that those are the kinds of movies that you decided to include oh, in this book? Absolutely. I mean, you know, to to pick the movies in the book, we I really wanted to get mostly just a good variety of genres and filmmakers and actors and actresses and so forth. So there'd be as much representation of you know such a, the, the wide breadth of talent that we all love from old Hollywood. Um, uh, and also in terms of the movies from different decades, it pretty much follows the same ratio of the movies that have been on the essentials. So, you know, there are very few from the silent era and from the seventies and eighties, because there have been very few of those on the essentials over the years. So, uh, but there are still a, a sprinkling of those, um, in terms of um, experiencing a movie later in life, you know, it's true. There are some films in this on this list that I hadn't seen in many, many years. And um, so it, I had something of the experience of seeing them for the first time in, in a way. Um, I don't think there were any that I had never seen before, period. Uh, oh, actually, there was one. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to admit, but 
for some reason, I had never seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh, um, interesting. You know, when it comes to the 30s and 40s movies, yes, I've seen all those. <laughs> Every once in a while, there's something from the more modern era. And I do consider the 70s to be a little more modern that uh, yes. has somehow slipped by. So, I mean, needless to say, Cuckoo's Nest is a great achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, um, you know, I, in my own life, I know that there were films I saw as a kid that I thought were the best thing ever. And when I saw them years later, I was embarrassed to have thought so. I can't now think of a good example of one, unfortunately. But I think we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. Um <laughs> But uh, for the most part, almost all of these movies are ones that I enjoy just as much now as I did 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know, Laura, Laura was one of the first classic era films that I saw as a kid. And I, I still just get entranced by it every time. Yes, yes. And, 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 and it, yeah, I agree with you. And, and just bringing that up, one of the movies I wanted to talk to you to about was The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, also starring the beautiful uh, Jean uh, Tierney. I, I, interestingly enough, um, at my birthday this year, I rented out a independent movie theater and we had a cocktail party and then I show a film and I do an introduction a la uh, Turner Classic Movie type produ- uh, introduction. Yep. I go and do the research of the movie and it's a surprise. I don't tell my guests what we're going to see. I did this a couple years ago and the movie that I did then was um, Out of Africa, one of my all-time favorites. And uh, But this one I chose The Ghost of Mrs. Muir and the reason I chose it, one of the main reasons I chose it is because again, it was filmed here. Part of it was filmed here in Pebble Beach in Carmel. And so I had the audience guess, you know, which scenes <laughs> were filmed here. Uh, and so I did my little background research on the film and did an introduction. And one of the things I discovered, uh, there were many things I discovered, but one was that Jean Tierney um, had, uh, she had broken her foot. That's right. Before, before filming. And so a lot of her scenes were um were her sitting down when she was filming this and they had to go back and, and refilm, you know, some of it later. But, uh, but that was one of my little, so when you had this one included, I was really excited because I, it, it is one of my favorites and people had, many people had never seen it before that came to my party and uh, they were so glad that I had introduced them to this movie. Um, Cause it's just, it's the, again, it's just a beautiful film that sort of stands the, test of time a beautiful love story and the scene you know that they talk about in the movie which is I mean, talk about in the book that we all love is when Harris, you know rex harrison sort of saying goodbye to her you know it's just a beautiful it, it's beautiful movie. Well, yeah Go ahead. to me this is one of my favorites of all time too and it, it's one that i put in the category of transcendent one mm-hmm. that really takes us away to our own private places while, while we're watching it because um, the, it's, a, it's a beautiful love story that never becomes saccharine or cloying and there's a real honesty to it and it's just so deeply felt without becoming you know too sugary mm-hmm. and um, you know it also one reason I think it has that effect is that Jean Tierney you know is she's sort of a feminist you know it's it has a real current of sort of female empowerment to it. You know, it, it, all these men are trying to tell her what to do and what not to do. It's set in, you know, mm-hmm. around the year 1900, I believe. 
So it, it's that era. And she just does what she wants to do. She's like nonsense. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to live alone. I'm going to live alone with my daughter. I, she, um, she, she's a widow and everyone thinks that she should act a certain way. And it, um, it keeps it feeling very modern, but it also, it sort of precludes a, any sort of stereotypical, um, you know, woman living for feeling pressured by like going along with the societal expectation that she conduct her life in a certain way, including, you know, um, having to have a man in her life and that being necessarily better than being alone. If, if, and if she wants to be independent and be alone, she does it. You just don't see that very often in movies of that era. I I think um, that you the next book should be about women because I actually the many of the movies from the 30s and 40s uh, portray these incredibly strong women and um and I think that might be you know a good book to talk about you know women in the films and how they were strong well, back and during those eras and then after the war um you know in the 50s uh, you know we things shifted and changed and what other movie I really want to talk about that you included I think it's the only documentary in here. Here, and that's Harlan County, USA. I had the privilege of having Barbara Koppel on my show a few weeks ago talking about her latest documentary, Desert One. Um, and I just, I was, it was interesting to read about what she went through because it won the Oscar for Best Documentary. Can we, because we only have like a minute or so left. Can you oh, tell me okay. a little bit about the, I know, it's, we'll have to do another show, Jeremy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Definitely, um, we'll have to do another yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> Barbara Koppel was, I think, 25 or 26 and she wasn't even going to do a documentary about these coal miners it was actually about a political campaign i think in the same state and then she heard about this strike and went to harlan county and became fascinated by it and stayed there for a long time and turned out this amazing piece of cinema verite um you know no one expected that it would win an oscar um so it was it, it really was thanks to her her talent and her passion and drive and she got it made and that it got the acclaim that it did. Um, and the thing that I love about it is that the, these people did not just the miners, but their wives in particular, they become such compelling characters. I mean, as compelling as any scripted film. Um, and, you know, in an era where, I mean, now that's not so uncommon in documentaries, but back then it was kind of, mm-hmm. and, you know, it really, you watch it and it feels, it has the feel of a feature, which I mean in the, as a compliment in terms of the hate, the story and how involved that we become. The fact that it's all real, you know, makes it even more compelling as we're watching. There's, there's a great antagonist in there. Um, and, you know, someone, uh, one of the gun, so-called gun thugs who's trying to break up the strike and there's a threat of violence that Barbara Koppel herself and her crew had to endure some, some mm-hmm. violence at, um, at some moments so she really took her life into her hands um but she did what she had to do to you know steal shots or she had to in courtrooms and so forth and 
the movie still plays like such a fresh work of art. It's really yes. an impressive film. Yeah, in 1976 it came out, and the issues that you're talking about in this movie are still the issues we're talking about today. That's always what's amazing to me too. Yeah. When we yeah. look back, we can look at our history through movies and um, see that many things haven't changed. Oh, Jeremy, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I recommend everybody if you have a movie lover in, that you know, um, go get the Essentials Volume Two. The holidays are coming up. It's a great birthday present, anniversary gift. Just a great, great book. Beautiful. Jeremy, I'm going to have you back on the show because there's so much more to talk about, as always. Anytime. Anytime, Jim. <laughs> it's such a pleasure having you on the show. <laughs> Thank you. Can you. Li- you're welcome. You're welcome. You can listen to the show whenever, wherever, and you by going to thejampireshow.com where all my shows are archived. You can also listen on the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and please go to the Jam Price Show on Facebook and like the show and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Jam Price Show. Thank you for listening. Jam Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jam Price Show, all about movies.